Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 48. My name is James, and today I am pleased to bring to you an interview with the host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast, Keith Knight. I wanted to talk to Keith about his Don't Tread on Anyone project. It's kind of a podcast idea that I toyed with the idea of, so I'm glad that somebody's doing it. Additionally, he did a pretty interesting episode on conspiracy theories, kind of with a twist recently. So I wanted to dig into a few of those conspiracy theories as well. Before we get into it with Keith, let me tell you once again about Paloma Verde CBD. Carlos and Vanessa Abilar, our friends down in San Antonio, started Paloma Verde last year, right before the pandemic, as a brick-and-mortar CBD distributor. Of course, the coronavirus and the government's response to it made it difficult to run a retail operation. And so they switched their operation to be 100% online. And boy, are they glad they've done it. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com to check out their selection. I highly recommend the mint-flavored tincture for humans and the dog tincture for pets. They also have dog treats. They have gummies that are delicious, muscle rubs, and many other CBD consumption mechanisms once again, go to palomaverdecbd.com and use the offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get 25% off your order over $75. And with that, here is my interview with Keith Knight. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. Sure. So uh, I first, you know, I mean, we've, we've kind of been interacting. I think we were just talking. We've been in the same circles for a really long time. You know, I mean, probably half a decade or more. But we've never really crossed paths other than, you know, maybe commenting on the same post or something like that. For the audience, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of talk about your projects and that kind of thing? My name is Keith Knight. I work at the Libertarian Institute and run the Don't Tread on Anyone show. I'm at about 600 videos, podcasts, interviews, breakdowns, propaganda analysis, book summaries. Those are the main things that I focus on with uh, my videos. The other day, I had a, a great uh, discussion with uh, my friend Sal the Agorist. Tomorrow, you should see, well, by the time this is out, uh, my debate with Sal was only 18 minutes, but still a debate uh, will be uh, coming out. So I really try to throw a lot of variety. One of my main goals is I want anyone who's sort of new to the idea of self-ownership, voluntary exchange, statism, libertarianism, to be able to click on almost any video and feel like uh, they're able to uh, catch on to uh, what the message is. What was your debate with Sal over? Hey, you're going to have to, you're going to have to check in, man. <laughs> All right. I, you know what? By the time this comes, if it, by gets the me, if it gets me one more click, it's worth depriving you of the information. I'm kidding. Nice. Okay. So, no, by uh, the time so, this comes out, it'll, it'll be old news anyway. I'll, I'll, I will link to it in the show notes. So, so, uh, Sal is, uh, one of the most uh, entrepreneurial minds that, uh, th that's in our movement. He uh -huh. is very much into agorism and counter-economics. And he, along with Sam Konkin, have taken the position that not only are they not interested in engaging in the Libertarian Party or uh, anything uh, in the political process, mm -hmm. that everyone else also should not be engaging in it. To which I say, well, I'm not exactly sure uh, the division of labor uh, is... Uh, you know, met to its fullest extent if we are excluding something like politics where 
there are, I mean, literally hundreds of millions of uh, ears for uh, us to get to. Sal says uh, there are no good arguments in favor of it. I take the opposite position. So uh, that's uh, what the debate is. LPMC versus agorism. Nice. So are you formally in the LPMC? No. Huh. All right. You do, you do, uh, so your show is kind of, I mean, like I kind of wanted to do that. Like a lot of the stuff that you do is just reading articles and reading books into your microphone. Yeah, it's amazing that you can come across so many interesting things and uh, find these these little gems. Yeah. My goal is to uh, save people a lot of time just because whenever I feel like I watch the news or wherever you would go for political information, there's so, it takes so long to hear something valuable. Mm-hmm. I want people to be able to click on any of those articles and no, I sometimes won't even read the whole article. I'll skip paragraphs if I think it's not worth uh, people's time. Like um, I did two videos uh, recently on Pat Buchanan's excellent book, uh, Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War. It's like it's like the last two chapters. So I could really see someone reading you know, 400 pages of that book and saying, all right, I've had enough of this. I I get it. But the last two chapters happen to be, you know, one is called Man of the Century and the other is America Inherits the Empire. And they're just mind-blowing chapters. So uh, yeah, things like that, I really think it's uh, worth people's time. And I just hate the idea of, you know, buying a new book, spending a lot of time reading and saying, okay, well, that was a waste of time. So yeah. try to make a, a efficient use of uh, people's academic time. It's a great service that you're providing, especially right now where a lot of people are kind of moving away from the first principles of libertarianism. I'm not sure if it's because they're just getting bored or if they feel like they don't apply in 2021 or what. Or what. Are, do you have any thoughts on that? Um. Yeah, you know, uh, it, certainly people that we know have been doing this for a while and uh, it can get a little annoying, but you know, the the great thing is I uh, I get so many Twitter DMs, Facebook messages, emails saying that people were introduced uh through, you know, recent videos where yeah. first principles are uh still discussed that um I mean that's just uh, m- my signal to uh, keep doing them. Yeah, it can uh, definitely get uh discouraging. After uh, after a while, when you, you're like, how can I take the same angle on this? That's a little boring. Uh-huh. But I certainly don't uh, blame people. I think the more we engage in a uh, diversity of tactics, not just uh, explaining uh, the self-ownership principle again and again, then uh, we'll increase our chance of reaching the most amount of people. Yeah, I agree with that. I, for one, am, I've kind of got one. So I, this podcast started out as an agorist podcast. It was the urban agorist. I had Sal on, and I don't know. I would say about 19 or so episodes in, I realized that I, I'm just not an agorist. I'm not cut out for it. And you know, like you said, uh, agorism is a great tech, is a great tactic among other great tactics. And so, my goal now is to become exposed to and thereby expose my audience to as many different ways of thinking and seeing the world as possible. So where my, you know, where my like efforts are lying right now are kind of, I've got one foot in the Mises Caucus LP milieu and then another in the sort of King Pilled milieu, I guess. I've always been real big on entrepreneurship. And so Matt Erickson and Jason Stapleton have been big influences on me, at least for the last month or so. 
So would you just describe yourself as a straight up like Rothbardian ANCAP or? Uh, yes, uh, certainly. So the principles of original appropriation, voluntary exchange contract, and uh, restitution. I mean, everything that flows from that, uh, I would say. So certainly things like anatomy of the state were mm-hmm. just amazing to read. As far as uh, agorism, the more I learn about it, the more I like it, and the more appreciative I am of the entrepreneurs in that space. And even if you, you, the listener, are not, you know, the risk taker, you can always buy from agorist websites, um, which uh, which I'm constantly doing. Or before I get something, I say, can I ask Sal on Twitter? You, you want to do it in publicly so he can, you know, tell many people at the same time. <laughs> You know, hey, is uh, this is what I want to buy? Is there an agorist that uh, has this? And of course, he always has uh, the, the answer. There's another yeah. uh, Twitter account, Agorist Nexus. A lot of a uh, lo- lot of places you can look. So yes, uh, Rothbardian with a, a great agorist appreciation. Awesome. So recently, you did this episode on conspiracy theories. However, they weren't like they weren't like 9/11 was an inside job type conspiracy theories. They were mainstream media narratives that are debunked in the same sense that the, the, you know, the New York Times fake fact checkers would debunk stories. So first of all, how did you come up with your list? There's like maybe 15 or 20 of them. You know, I really just sat and thought about it. I go, what are some of the things that are so ridiculous that are believed by a uh, lot of people? And I just uh, jotted them down. Mm -hmm. And once I came up with them, I'm just like, Wow, there's a lot more. I was literally expecting five. <laughs> because, you know, they'll always throw at us. They'll be like, well, aliens, first of all, the existence of extraterrestrials doesn't mean people are conspiring yeah. or coming together to commit a harmful, unlawful act. So they just have these, uh, you know, association words. Or they'll say, Bigfoot, as if the existence of a creature is people conspiring. It's so dumb. So, uh, you know, they'll have, you know, one or two for us. I just wanted to beat the heck out of them. And of course, it's one of those that like right after I finish it, like five more came to yeah, mind. Of course. Like of course. like the, you know, uh, tr- Trump bragged about uh, sexually assaulting women on uh, audio tape. That's something that, act- oh that people actually believe. Straight up a hundred percent. I know there's so many that you uh, f- forget about them. So yeah, it was probably the Waco one, the, the one that I start out with, the one that I'm just like, you have to be a moron to believe this story. So what I say is, so you have to believe that there was a group of crystal meth cookers who were beating their children so severely and irresponsibly using guns that the ATF went there to sort of straighten things out. And the uh, the cult members, uh, the Branch Davidians, just started shooting at them for no reason. And then they uh, defended their property, you know, with force on that day and for 51 days. And then all committed suicide <laughs> simultaneously at the very moment the FBI came in on day 51, while the FBI, of course, was spraying CS gas banned by the Geneva Convention. So the people defending themselves to death actually also suicided themselves. Yeah, it wasn't the people pointing guns at them for 51 days, uh, invading with tanks, spraying CS gas and shooting guns. No, 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 that, 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 that was just there to help them. 
you have to do this kind of nonsense uh, when you're trying to justify such blatant atrocities. So uh, yeah, that is one of like 10 or 15 examples I use. I went down to Southern Minnesota the other day. Yeah, maybe last last week, two weeks ago, something like that. And emceed a screening of Waco, The Rules of Engagement, the documentary that was made. And I hadn't seen it in a while. And it, it, certainly since before Biden was installed as president. And it strikes me at how he is not just cast as the villain in that documentary, but actually is the villain in that documentary. And it it's... Like I, I'm not really old enough to remember Waco. Like I, I, I was, I was alive, and I actually lived in in Dallas, so I peripherally remember it in my brain. But I don't remember the hearings, and to see Joe Biden like defending these tactics and being outraged that someone would would suggest that these feds through flashbang grenades, which allegedly don't hurt people, at least you know as they thought back then. I mean, now we know that flashbang grenades do indeed hurt people and, you know, have maimed and killed infants in cribs during SWAT raids. But back then, you know, it was just, it was just you trust your government and, that, and that's that. But what was the most striking in that documentary was when Congressman Barr, who was the LP's nominee for president, uh, the first in a, in, a, in a line of just ill-advised Republican nominees for president from the LP, did this weird stunt where he got a lump of Play-Doh and had the witness hold it in his hand and asked the witness, you know, a question about flashbang grenades that had nothing to do with Play-Doh. I have no idea what he was, go- what he was, what he was getting at. But I guess my point is, it seems like the Democrats and the Republicans in that particular charade were conspiring with one another to make the Democratic Party look okay, despite the fact that they had just murdered all these people. Yeah, they uh, will certainly come together when it comes to legitimizing large-scale statism. Of course, it's very important to fight about whether or not people who lived in Russia influenced the 2016 election. Got to spend tons of time on that. Got to spend tons of time on whether the upper tax bracket should be 36.1% or (laughs) 39.2%. I mean, these just, we need to spend hours and hours a day focusing on these two uh, vitally important things. Well, of course, uh, when it comes to the large-scale things, just as, you know, Sunni and Shia Muslims, if you look at them from a distance, well, they both believe in Islam and the Prophet Muhammad, and they read the Quran, and we more or less would see them as the same. But if you get up really close, even the Calvinists and the Armenians and the Catholics, there's a lot of small disagreements, maybe even some certainly uh, principled disagreements, but once you're able to see that uh, statism is just the violent religion that uh, people uh, believe in, you'll see it for the scam that it is and how mm-hmm. uh, Democrats and Republicans are two sides of the same coin. They believe in uh, the concept of, what well, generally today, they believe in socialism, the institutionalized aggression against private property and voluntary exchanges. But they both believe some people called government have the right to rule everyone else. Everything uh, after that, is uh, more or less just a technicality and implementation. So when something really makes the state look bad, it's the same reason, you know, Rachel Maddow will not uh, take uh, seriously that the official 9-11 story isn't true, even though literally the same people, literally Rumsfeld, Cheney, Bush, Wolfowitz, they they can accept that uh, Iraq was more or less a blunder, not an evil invasion that 
murdered innocent people. That's a, a, an unwise thing that probably shouldn't have been done because of the long-term consequences. But, you know, she wouldn't question uh, 9-11. She wouldn't say, hey, government has no right to regulate us. Uh, they wouldn't question Medicare Part D on principle, never on principle, always a technicality. So they could uh, get you to ignore the principled uh, argument because every principled criticism of their opposition also applies to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I guess, the the big, well, I guess it's not the big issue, but an issue when it comes to debating with these people is that, like you just made the point, they do the same things. They're on the same team in reality. Have you have you become aware of this newer hypothesis that, oh, God, what was it? So Biden never actually took the White House. He is currently holed up in Tyler Perry's rec- like movie studio in Atlanta on a set made to look like the Oval Office, and that the military, which is on Trump's side, has actually been taking control. Are you aware of that? You know, I remember very few uh, people talking about it. Really, the the people who I hear from it most are left-wingers telling me what a big deal it is. So I never actually hear the people propagating it. I always hear someone warning me that it's going to happen. That's how I know it's something trivial. Look, in a world of 7 billion people, actually the guy, it wasn't even uh, in America, the uh, guy who I heard this from, he certainly had an Australian accent. In a world of 7 billion people, you can always come up with, it's referred to as weak manning, not to be confused with straw manning. You find someone extremely dumb, attach them to questioning the election results, and then say, look at these people who question the election. They believe that, Biden even now isn't president. They still won't admit they're wrong. They keep coming up with new dates. Well, look, I remember specifically people telling me Trump is going to jail for conspiring with Vladimir Putin any day now. It was just as crazy as this, but it was worse because they had major media players. That's that's the difference between Mm -hmm. what CNN focuses on and what I focus on in uh, the, the video you had mentioned. These are done by the most powerful people on planet Earth, that is the significant uh, difference. It actually has a uh, you know an effect. It can start a war. It can create narratives that change how people see the world and uh, what policies they think are legitimate and illegitimate. So these ones actually matter. That <laughs> that's the difference. So yeah, and it, and it is. I mean, Senator Biden, who was the chairman of the of the Foreign Relations Committee, you know, in two thousand one, was the chief pusher of you know, the Patriot Act, the war in Afghanistan, and the war, war in Iraq, you know, these Republican policies back then. And, and and his advocacy for those wars led directly to his son's death, arguably. I uh, know that uh, Scott has cited a uh, book about the burning pits mm-hmm. and uh, the, uh, the the causes of, uh, of cancer and all these horrible things that uh, troops experience. I'm trying to think of, you know, certainly things like white phosphorus and Agent Orange uh, caused a lot of uh, health issues in the past. So I, I don't know about this one uh, in particular. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th- this is a guy who is often wrong and never in doubt is uh, the perfect way to describe him. <laughs> yeah. it, but, but he just has so much longer of a track record than uh, th- than anyone else. I mean, as bad as Trump is, it's not like he's been doing the same gig since uh, 1972, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, and then what, what they'll come back with is that, oh, but Trump's a, Trump's a mob boss. He's been, he's been engaged in red market activity to borrow from Konkin his entire career. Like running for office wasn't anything different. It was just the next step in his, in his crime history. 
What do you think of that? Well, it was arguably the worst step in yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in everything. Even you know, Sal Sal actually said the other day that uh, Chicago was safer under Al Capone. And I've heard people say, you know, <laughs> um, gosh, who was it? Uh, Michigan was safer under Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, th- things like this is like, yeah, you know, mafia is bad, but you know, at, at least these private, you know, sort of uh, monarchies or mafias, they're still better than states because you have less people. Uh, influencing them. There's a uh, lower time preference and uh, they certainly don't have a large scale recognized right to rule. They don't Mm. have a recognized coercive funding. So even if they're a bunch of thieves, it's not like they can really just, uh, you know, uh, knock up the tax rate a little and they don't have these propaganda speeches to appeal to the idiot masses and trick them into all these new uh, endeavors. It's much more of a uh, business operation. So even, you know, the worst arguments of, well, what if there's a private gang of thieves? Well, then it's a hundred times better. Bad? Yes. No, no one's perfect. <laughs> no society or system is going to be perfect. You can just look at, uh, you know, uh, the, the, our enemies are constantly saying, well, the profit, uh, the, the profit motive in the private sector is very predatory, and this is just horrible. But they're more afraid of Trump as president than when he was a billionaire in the private sector, mm-hmm. according to the Noam Chomsky worldview. Donald Trump was extremely dangerous, but then he got into office and now he represents the people because the people chose him. So now he works for us and he was terrified of uh, not getting voted in again. So he all he did was please us for four years. That's their worldview and that's how fake it is. And they don't even realize that it was shattered uh, right in front of their eyes. They still think private bad, public good uh, without recognizing the biggest example ever, Donald Trump. So. Let's get on to another one of your conspiracy theories because these are these are really good. And they all, God, I'm reading through them again and they all have to do with Biden. It's weird. So, you know, it, it was probably just uh, j- just on my mind. Well, it's not, it's, it's all, it's because he's been at it for 50 years. I mean, he's just got his hands in everything. Yeah, he, you can always uh, play uh, six degrees from Biden. <laughs> a, 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 anything that's happened after uh, 72 how about this one? Um, so we're in the Middle East to fight Al Qaeda, who are the bad guys, and we, the Americans, are the good guys. Uh, yes, this is clearly fake. So originally, you have a document from September fourth, two thousand one, seven days before nine eleven, uh, titled "National Security Presidential Directive Nine, I believe it is, or is it seven? I know that I show it on the screen there. Cool. It's uh, the National Security. Uh, presidential directive. And uh, this is according to Donald Rumsfeld's testimony, March 23rd, 2004. And he said that they had a plan to go into Afghanistan uh, to overthrow the Taliban and fight uh, Al-Qaeda, allegedly. So first of all, that means that there was already a plan to go in and 9-11 was not the initial justification. You can always say, well, that just proves they were right. But it doesn't count as what their original justification is. So you can't say, well, 9-11 happened. That's why we went. Mm. They already had this plan in action. So you don't get to say, what happens is we get attacked and then government looks into it. And then to keep us safe, they go get the bad guys. Not even close to how these uh, things happen. Another example is in 1998, the Project for a New American Century wrote a letter to Bill Clinton saying, uh, we need to go into Iraq and overthrow Saddam. This is another war planned uh, long in advance by very few people who are unelected, whatever. So 
that is uh, the, the origin. Then, then you could say, well, we, we had to go because we had to get bin Laden. However, the Taliban offered to hand over bin Laden because, you know, as evil as the Taliban is, I will grant them uh, domestically. I'd say that they're even worse than uh, the American government, Russian government. Uh, what they did just out of pure self-interest was, yeah, we'll, we'll hand over bin Laden to uh, any third party country in Gosh, I, I forget the uh, name of it, but I cite the article from The Guardian. And so it's been, you know, 20 years and there hasn't uh, been a large scale neocon rebuttal to this. So you can take this to the bank. Also, it's in George Bush's book, Decision Points. He says, we um, we demanded that the Taliban hand over bin Laden, but we really did this because uh, we knew that their defiance would firm up a justification for our invasion. It's in the chapter titled Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So- Again, the war was planned uh, beforehand. They wanted to go in. Uh, it had nothing to do because they didn't accept the bin Laden offer. So you don't get to say, well, it was to get bin Laden because they had the chance to and didn't even take that chance. They still could have invaded. They could have done whatever they want, but they needed that bad guy out there to exist. Then you have even more of a justification. They invade Iraq, creating the uh, power vacuum. You know, of course, we're always told. Uh, under voluntarism, there would be a power vacuum. Under statism, there's constant power vacuums. So after Saddam was overthrown, a guy named, oh gosh, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, more or less uh, wrote a letter pledging his allegiance to Ayman al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden, creating al-Qaeda in Iraq. After the Iraq war, as a causal result of Saddam's regime being toppled. So, this led to an increase in al-Qaeda. So that, that you could say is uh, an indirect result of al-Qaeda growth because of uh, American intervention. But then you have three examples that are just so um, uh, so crystal clear that this is not a war on terror. It's actually a war for terrorism. First, in 2011, you have the U.S. siding with al-Qaeda, an organization called LIFG, Libyan Islamic Fighting Group. They team up against uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Gaddafi had been anti-Al-Qaeda. He was one of the first guys in 1996 to put out an arrest warrant for Osama bin Laden. As evil as he is, he just saw this uh, organization as a uh, as a uh, c- competing authority in the Middle East, so he didn't want it. Then we have an email from Jake Sullivan, current, uh, uh, gosh, what is his position? I think his current position in the Biden administration is foreign policy advisor very influential guy behind the scenes. He sends an email openly talking about, and I cite this email uh, from the State Department emails, saying AQ is on our side in Syria. Make sure Hillary knows that. So what they have here is the U.S. siding with a group, Jabhat al-Nusra, known as al-Qaeda in Syria, in order to fight Bashar al-Assad's regime. If you remember, Obama got on TV and said, Gaddafi needs to go. He also said, Assad needs to go. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is called Operation Timber Sycamore, CIA special activities teaming up. And then finally, uh, they uh, took al-Qaeda's side against the Houthi government in Yemen, uh, along with uh, the uh, Saudi Arabian regime. Uh, So under no justification is this a war against terrorism. Even if you think... You know, it's a total accident. They have the best of intentions. Al-Qaeda has gone from 400 guys in 2001 to tens of thousands across um, multiple continents today. So, uh, (laughs) I mean, uh, under principled or utilitarian uh, arguments, uh, the war on terror can't be justified. Well, and that's what happens. I mean, that's, that's that's just common sense. 
It reminds me a little bit, and you know, this is not to sympathize with either terrorists or white supremacists, but if you go around fighting people violently and calling them names and just insisting that they're that they're something that they're not, then there's going to be a significant number of them who who rebel against you by becoming exactly what you accuse them of being. I mean, the terrorist organizations in the Middle East that were held at bay by Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and so on and so forth that have just flourished in the last two decades. It is an absolute failure of the U.S. government under Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, whoever, to see the actual consequences of their policies and actions. And it almost feels like, I mean, given given that Ron Paul was, you know, warning against this, it almost feels like it was on purpose. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly on purpose. Uh, to to think it's not on purpose is to think that uh, me community college dropout is outsmarting the Pentagon <laughs> and the CIA and the FBI. I mean, these are. These are just large-scale uh, mafias, of course. But um, the amazing thing about all the evidence that uh, we're able to gather on this is even if you think it's done with the best of his intentions, it's just ridiculous. I, I mean, please, siding with al-Qaeda, you can still take the, well, we had to side with Stalin in order to defeat the National Socialists and whatever, and then we had to side with the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Well, in if that is your justification, well, then it wouldn't be a secret. Obama would say would get on the screen and say, hey, taxpayers, thanks for your trillions every year. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. It's an organization. We're going to be teaming up with them. You guys might want to sit down because you've probably <laughs> heard of these guys before. I don't want any screaming when I tell you who we're siding with. You got to let me explain. And then he'd tell us that we're siding with Al-Qaeda because, you know, the government represents us. It informs us. In the free market, there's disinfo and there's false advertising. But in government, they represent us. So there is none of that. Of course not. This is all a fairy tale. The motives are completely ridiculous because when you try uh, exposing them, they try and silence you. They never tell you about it beforehand. It's, you know, the, the old joke of, the, uh, the 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 guy who says I was at uh, uh, I was at the uh, grocery store, honey, and she says, "Well, no, I checked your card and you weren't there." And he goes, "Okay, I was really at a friend's house. And I talked to him and you weren't there. All right, I was really inside of a motel with another woman playing checkers. Okay, well, I've caught you lying so many times." that I'm not going to believe this ridiculous nonsense anymore. It all adds up. You can believe the, uh, you, you can just look at the incentives behind almost anything. When, uh, w- Whenever a spouse dies, well, the first person they look at is the spouse and whether or not there was an insurance policy. So mm-hmm. whenever something like, you know, another gas attack happens, of course you're looking to the, the CIA special activities. They're the ones who have way more of an incentive than uh, Assad, you know, days before he's supposed to sign a peace agreement or uh, or anything. Um, I mean, the, one of the biggest ones is George Bush in a State of the Union address explicitly says that Saddam is buying yellow cake from Niger, and uh, they have a source on it. And the guy, Joe Wilson, to his credit, comes out and writes a piece in the New York Times, to their credit, called What I Didn't Find in Africa. And then uh, they got back at him by leaking that Valerie Plame, his wife, is a CIA agent and all this other stuff. But think about that. They almost got away with that lie. And everyone watching that would have said, 
yeah, that's probably true. He's got intelligence. He knows more than we do. I mean, that that is an explicit lie. There was no apology. There was no, I'm so sorry. Bush actually, he, he gets like very annoyed when people bring up, he goes, oh God, I gave this whole speech and there's 16 words that people are focusing on. Oh, you mean the primary lie you used as a justification? So yeah, there's a, at this point, virtually no uh, excuses left to say that we're dealing with well-intended people. Two of these conspiracy theories, to me, go hand in hand. They are the ones where just absolute doom was was predicted if these things were, if net neutrality was not enacted or if Brexit was enacted. How did those actually turn out? <laughs> I, I forget that they <laughs> happened. That's, that's how they turned out. Uh, well, what these are... Are, We've been hearing about net neutrality a little bit more again in the in the last couple of months. Well, yeah, because they're, they're they're trying to uh, pass it again. Yeah. This is not to say that there are no effects of these things. The point is, is that uh, th- these are constantly used to uh, scare people into doing something they otherwise wouldn't do. And there are two real world examples that we could see in our lifetimes uh, very recently that the doom and gloom that was predicted was false. So what you have to do, as Johnny Cochran said, all you have is credibility. If you're holding a document in your hands, how do you know that's true? Well, it's it's an official document. Well, it was written by a person. How do you know that person's not lying? How do you know, uh, you know, e- even today, if yet, let's say you have something on camera. Well, deep fakes exist. It really looks like Leonardo DiCaprio uh, is killed by, um, you know, whatever guy in The Departed, but that's something that can be done on camera. So how do we know videos are real? It's all about credibility. So when someone says that things are going to be horrible if net neutrality is, you know, uh, not to, what is it? it? Was it like being enacted or extended? Something, yeah. Yeah, extended, because it existed under Obama, I believe. Okay, so when someone says doom and gloom will occur, some terrible thing, everything's going to be $35, and they're wrong, and they don't go on a total apology tour, um, well, then you know that that person does not have a good amount of credibility. When they say, yep, Trump's been elected, yep, as of now, uh, it's going to be open season on blacks and trans people. And then, you know, there's no uh, significant increase in that with regard to the population and other violent uh, crimes. Well, then that is their credibility getting ruined. That's why it's important that when someone says this, you hold their feet to the fire and say, you know what, you screwed me the last two times. I'm just not going to believe you. I don't know what it is about people feeling the need that they have to have an opinion on these things. Like you can just say, eh, haven't looked into it. So I'm I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the most important things, food, water, shelter, clothing. I don't know anything about how those are grown or manufactured or transported or whatever. That doesn't make me a terrible person. I'm a terrible person for other things, but not that in particular. You can not have an opinion on something, you know, foreign policy. These things take a lot of time to research, but for some reason, people just can't go. They have to side with their team on every single issue, and they have to find their identity, and every single issue is the last issue. If we lose this, it's all over. (laughs) So yeah, uh, Brexit and uh, net neutrality are uh, two perfect cases. Or, um, you know, uh, there was another one. Marine Le Pen is going to beat Emmanuel Macron. Uh, It's going to be terrible. She actually didn't, uh, she didn't uh, win. So that that one was hard to prove. But even in that, you can say, 
they really, really cared about the French election for a week and then never talked about it again. So was it really that important to them? You know, it was all this, oh, God, Gaddafi is killing people and he's giving his troops Viagra to commit mass rape. <laughs> uh, but then after, when Libya's a hellhole on earth, they're not like, oh, God, I'm so really worried about the people of Libya. Uh, they're either actively lying or some of them don't even know it. They're like, oh, quick, an easy position to have for me to virtue signal and intellect signal. Quick, let me use this as a podium to stand on. So you're actually doing them a favor to point it out to them that they were wrong about this and they are in the process of ruining their credibility because maybe uh, they're going to be right about the next thing. And maybe, you know, this next thing, whatever it is, Delta variant, I'm not sure. Maybe it really is big, but unfortunately, you, person talking to me, who's advocated all this other trash in the past, I don't trust you because you've shown yourself not to be uh, credit worthy. Can you think of a single media narrative in our lifetimes or maybe in anyone's lifetimes that has turned out to be accurate? <laughs> that, that's funny. Just because so much is over-sensationalized that even if something literally is true, it's yeah. so it, it's so over-sensationalized. Uh, I mean, y- you can really almost make anything look um, look like a bigger deal than, than it really is. But as far as large-scale meta-narratives, uh, no, one does not uh, stick out to me. And the reason is obvious is because the uh, press is the propaganda arm of mm. the regime. So, of course, uh, they're like they're almost like an extension of Jen Psaki, the press secretary. And everyone knows the press secretary's job is to defend the president no matter what. There was a woman of color in the uh, White House uh, press room, and she asked, I think she asked Psaki, um, uh, is the president okay with <laughs> a woman uh, with a baby uh, nine months pregnant getting an abortion? And Saki goes, if you're asking if the president is pro-choice, he is. So uh, just look at ha- how they can't even address something so oh. obvious like that. They they even have to spin that. The goal is to do whatever you can to make the president look good. That's what the media is, an extension of that. And even you know places like Fox, they're really only able to exist because they don't disagree with Biden on principle with anything because all of those things apply to uh, Trump and Bush and Bush Sr. and uh, everyone else that, uh, that, that they're pals with. So well, no, uh, honestly, no examples come to mind. And those, uh, the, the kind of insurgent media outlets, the OANs and the, um, what's the Red, Red State? No. I can't remember the name. Newsmax? Newsmax, yeah. It's been around forever. Um, in fact, I, I, think I, re- I think I remember reading Newsmax when I was in high school uh, just because I wanted to get a conservative take on things during the 2000 election. And, I mean, those outlets are, in my opinion, just as much propaganda outlets as the corporate mainstream press. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, you watch it and you can just see right through it. Uh, once you've read uh, people like Michael Humer, Jason Brennan, Hans Hoppe, Murray Rothbard. Mm-hmm. It, you see, there is such philosophical philosophical depth that is not addressed in these things that they're so, the discussions are so shallow. They're so temporary. 
uh, it's such a heat of the moment discussion. Oh, but we have breaking news. Um, a person died the other day. It's well, look, 163,000 people across planet mm-hmm. Earth die every day. The one you're reporting on is the one that fits the narrative you're trying to push because it fits a solution that you've already wanted for decades. So you're not exactly bringing us breaking news when uh, well, when you share something like that. So yeah, e- even those um, that while they're uh, you know sometimes good because you can get some uh, some drops of truth when uh, Dave Smith gets on Kennedy or Michael Malice gets on Red Eye, but um, overall. I certainly don't see uh, anyone uh, in the press. I mean, pr- the best guy is Tucker Carlson, probably. And he's really only good on the deep state. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know, and he's he's generally terrible on uh, uh, on everything else. Did you see this video that went viral of the guy that was like accosting him at a fishing store in Montana? I think. Yeah, I couldn't really hear it. Okay, I, so I, I had to put it really loud. As it turns out, this guy, uh, God, I can't remember his name. Something. Daniels or something like that. He's got, it's, ironically, he's got, or coincidentally, he's got the same name as the name of the store that they were shopping in. So the, the store made it clear that they're not related to this guy. But also, he worked for uh, a CIA-founded nonprofit. That's funny. An NGO called, hang on, I'm pulling it up right now. So his name's Dan Bailey. The name of the store is Dan Bailey's Outdoor Company. No relation, apparently. And this guy worked for the Asia Foundation, which was a nonprofit created by the CIA in the 1950s. And it just so happens that, you know, this guy accosting Tucker Carlson, the one person who's any good on the deep state, and the only thing he's good on is the deep state, also worked for the deep state. Oh, exactly. Look at how insecure the the progressive cathedral is about um, their narrative, that one guy doesn't fully toe the line. He still believes in the legitimacy of government, taxation, regulation, sometimes says their government's too small and we need more antitrust uh, legislation and we need more tariffs and we need more immigration controls and all this other stuff. So he doesn't toe the line a little bit, but they still have the corporate press uh, on TV. They still have the newspapers. They still have um, the, uh, the the state schools. They still have the universities. They still have Hollywood. They still have uh, you know Pope Francis. They have they have all this power. But it's this one guy, Tucker. I can't get him out of my head. He is what the guy said. You are the worst person in the world. Really, really the worst person in the world. And they might actually think so because they're so psychotic that it's the same mentality of, you know, the, uh, the psycho boyfriend who sees his girlfriend just talk to one guy for one second and he flips out because his power's threatened. Oh my gosh, I, I, I need to remedy this horrible situation immediately. I don't have complete control over every situation. Well, when you read one book, then you're, uh, of course, toying around with fascism. You listen to podcasts, well, that must be alt-right. Or even when the right's in power, oh, you question the war, you must love communism. As they advocate for trillions in theft to the mm-hmm. state, of course, we're the communists. So, uh, yeah, uh, to Tucker, it's sad that the best is really bad. And let's not forget also that Tucker's dad was like the chief propagandist for the U.S. government. I mean, he was the director of Voice Voice of America. He ran the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. He's the director of the U.S. Information Agency. I mean, it's not like Tucker is being honest. 
where he's being honest, he's being honest in service to like the right half of the state. In my yeah, opinion. and um, Tucker, well, he's got to be a net benefit because everyone else is so bad, mm-hmm. and with his show <laughs> being top rated, I can't imagine. You know, if he's fired tomorrow, I, I can't imagine anyone better replacing True. him r- yeah. realistically. He's, he so, serves a purpose. I, I mean, Monica Perez would call him a limited hangout. Yeah. Yeah, so certainly. Um, but look, look at uh, the questioning of the, uh, the the election. That's one of those yes. where it's like you can sort of question because Russia was the the Russia Gate twenty sixteen was still much more of a social media thing. It was look at all this fake news that Russia pushed on social media. You know, they're always hinting around uh, PizzaGate being started by the Putin administration. Well that still is not getting to the heart of the election, whereas Tucker's quite literally saying in Georgia there uh, was not uh, a legitimate mm-hmm. vote tally. So now he's really stepping on people's toes, and that's why he was trending uh, He was trending even before this, uh, this altercation, and that's probably mm-hmm. what uh, led up to it because, I mean, questioning these things are just, that's so not allowed. It's totally evil. Even in this video that uh, you and I are talking about, I showed that there were CNN articles saying Russia's already interfered in the 2020 election. There was a political article saying 50 intelligence officers have said Russia's already interfered in the 2020 election. So they're planning to call it illegitimate if they didn't like the outcome, but they did. So we never heard of it. So so when Russia interfered in 2016, allegedly, we needed the Mueller investigation for two years. When they interfered in 2020 with the alleged you know, Hunter Biden case, you did, didn't hear a thing after it. That's how you know it's so fake. You have to be hit over the head like a thousand times. Like Charlie Brown has to get tricked by Lucy taking away the football a thousand times before he learns that it's actually a scam used to make him look like an idiot. That's kind of how, how things uh, work with uh, the press and uh, the cathedral at large. Talk a minute about Ukraine's quid pro quo with Trump and what really happened with a Ukraine quid pro quo? So the reason that uh, they planned on impeaching Trump was for conspiring with Vladimir Putin. Robert Mueller comes out with his testimony and more or less it doesn't work out. There's all these vague, nonsensical things. When two countries as big as Russia and America, someone's always talking to someone else who's always connected to someone else. So they more or less had nothing. So what they tried to do was get him with a phone call that he had with the president of Ukraine, where Trump more or less uh, hints at, you know, uh, you you really uh, should look into uh, my opponent, Biden, his son. There's a lot of shady dealings there. I mean, Hunter Biden had like no connection. Uh, he, He had no background in energy. Yet he's on the board of an energy company. I don't, I don't know what's going on. You might want to look into it. So he hints that uh, this uh, th- that this might be something the Ukrainian president, prime minister, wants to look into. Remember, this is after there was a 2014 coup by the Biden Obama administration in Ukraine uh, in order to intimidate Putin, and even today. Uh, they're trying to bring Ukraine into NATO. So, I mean, th- that's more interference than tr- Trump could ever uh, tr- try on his own. So they got him for a quid pro quo, meaning this for that. If you give me something in exchange, I will give you whatever aid the U.S. was giving to Ukraine. It was implied that, well, Trump was withholding this, therefore this is treason. This is in his self-interest at the expense of the country, so we're going to impeach him. Well, uh, the the impeachment failed. I mean, it succeeded in you know stalling 
whatever uh, you know Trump was trying to do otherwise and to make him look bad. But actually, we have an example of a uh, uh, government official engaging in a quid pro quo with, of all countries, Ukraine. And the guy that. is Joe Biden. And the guy <laughs> is Joe Biden. The, and the source for this is literally him bragging about it to Richard Haas and the Council on Foreign Relations. I, I put the exact quote uh, on my uh, on a uh, screen when I was doing my uh, presentation. But it's something to the extent of if the prosecutor isn't fired, then you're not getting the money. In other words, this, do this for us, fire the prosecutor, or you don't get the money. Now, this is this is totally common. So it's not that no one at the time when he said this was sharing this video because it's just so obviously known. You guys have to do this, this, and that there, and this is the criteria for us to give you the money. More or less, just like anyone else when they're buying stuff. But for some reason, it was the worst thing in the world when Trump did an impeachable offense, and it was no big deal when Biden did almost literally the exact same thing, or as close as you can get uh, in uh, in reality. So yeah, that that's just another blatant uh, double standard. That's just so, that's just so indefensible. Like it's it's really hard to get people to realize that war is mass murder, the draft is slavery, and regulation is violent domination. But when it comes to Ukrainian quid pro quo, you should be able to see that <laughs> if it applies to Trump in his case, which it either does or it doesn't, and whatever it is, it has to apply consistently to the case of uh, Biden, bragging about it to uh, the fellow elites at the CFR. You used a term in one of these that I had never heard before, unconscious genesis fabrication. What is that? I coined that term, so I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad you. Well, good. I'm um, glad that I'm glad that we're we're making it a making it known to everyone. Then, so unconscious meaning something that you're doing without actively attempting to do it uh, knowingly with your conscious brain. Mm -hmm. Genesis being the origin, and fabrication being uh, outside of reality, uh, just made up by you, is something that happens, and it's very common. Gosh, I forget. Do you have the slides in front of you? Because I sort mm -hmm. of forget. Oh, okay. So, so here it came one. right after sexism is everywhere, though. If that helps. So, uh, <laughs> I switched them around so many times. I'm oh. not sure. But, but this is the idea that uh, people will sort of attempt to rationalize a policy by thinking what they would have done or what might have happened. So they'll say, "Well, the reason we have antitrust laws is because." You know, sometimes companies are too big and you got to regulate them. What they don't realize they just did is they made an empirical claim that is either true or false. So in order to prove that, you'd have to say, here were the people involved in passing the legislation. Here are quotes from them. This was their justification. But they never have that. And the reason is, is because you have the same sort of approach to uh, something like the uh, F Federal Reserve. Once they're giving a group of bankers a monopoly on the money, it's going to be really hard in principle to say monopolies are bad. So what they just do is they lie about, oh, it's hurting the consumer, he's taking up the market, and all this other stuff. Turns out none of that was true. And we have Tom DeLorenzo's article, The Myth of Natural Monopoly, to debunk it. Mm -hmm. That is one example. Another example is government uh, is uh, something that came about because we got together and we started a government. No, that uh, didn't happen. That's not to say, you know, that alone makes the state illegitimate. I mean, none of us consented to Walmart, 
but they're more or less a legitimate organization. The problem is, is that without even thinking about it, or they'll say something like, well, uh, Social Security was created to help retirees. How did you know it wasn't an exist, an extension of Otto von Bismarck's plan to make people more reliant on the state so they won't resist the Kaiser? You don't know the origin of this. You pretend to know the origin of something as a justification for its existence so you can claim good motives on the part of other people. Or countries go to war uh, in self-defense. Well, if you had Amazon doing what governments routinely do, invade countries and increase you know, the amount of money and resources they have after they've engaged in war, you'd see that Amazon was doing it for profit mm-hmm. and they were just in it for themselves, no matter what kind of nonsense. You can even see it with other governments, but when it's your own, oh, that's totally different. People actually make up stories to justify uh, what uh, currently exists because facing the reality of, well, there's been a large scale trick. That is really hard for uh, for, for people to grasp. A, uh, another one is you can ask people, oh, well, why do you think uh, the uh, state provides education? Very few of them will reference Johann Fichte's address to the German nation and the concept of uh, the Prussian education system. Uh, they will more or less make something up on the spot, which is it's significant because they could easily just say, you know what, I never looked into the origins of that. Or they'll say, we have Medicare and Medicaid, to help the elderly and to help the poor. Well, how do you know that was their uh, that was their job? Not to just, uh, it, how do you know it wasn't Lyndon Johnson wanted to get reelected? How do you know the uh, goal wasn't to raise prices in the healthcare industry so there could be further justification for a uh, growth of the state in the future and vilification of free market transactions? People will actually fabricate the origins of something in order to justify something, and they don't even know they're doing it. It's uh, it's really incredible. And I know that I put the examples on the screen in that one. Yeah, I'm positive you did. I was just, I was just kind of shuffling through the slides while you're talking, trying to find them. But uh, with with the audio muted, I couldn't. So yet another reason for the audience to go and watch this video because it's fantastic. Um, the last one is the biggest one, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to close on it. The myth of the social contract. Can you talk about what that is, why it's so pervasive, and why it's utter nonsense? So a <laughs> in, reason, in two minutes or less? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the main reason people give this uh, group of people called government a lot of extra leeway in society is because something unique applies to them where we gave our uh, consent for them to exist, tax, regulate, and legislate. Um, This is something that people have constantly been saying, and they'll say things like, well, uh, uh, we all got together and formed a government. Okay, that never happened. And when you ask them, what date was this? 1776? Well, there were 3 million people in America. How many of them were in on this decision in 17? I think there were like 3 million. How many, what percentage? And it was like, um... Well, it was actually like 16 guys doing all the decision-making. Now, if you look at the iron law of oligarchy, it's always going to be a microscopic amount of people doing the most significant things. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is is that they have this um, uh, th- this origin myth, you could call it, that we all got together. And that's why for you to be against it is for you to be against society. When that's not the case at all, as Lysander Spooner said, government in reality is established by a few without uh, the consent of anyone else that they uh, th- that they just assume. I butchered the quote, but I, I uh, put, put the uh, quote in there. 
So then they'll say in a last ditch effort, well, uh, government's legitimate because, uh, well, uh, there's voting every two, four, and six years. Well, uh, that original, that immediately rules out the vast majority of governments that have existed from ancient Egypt up until today. So we're at like 98% of illegitimate states so far. Now, let's talk about this one. We consent to them because we voted for it. If I don't have the right to tax, how can I vote for Kirsten Cinema, the congresswoman in Arizona, to tax on my behalf? If I don't have the right to uh, conscript people into a war, if I don't have the right to wage war, how can I vote for someone to do that on my behalf? How can there be a contract? If it's a contract, that means it's binding on both parties. So if I don't you know, chip in, then of course I uh, go to jail and they shoot me if I resist. But if government doesn't protect us, does government go to jail? Do we get a refund on all our taxes if they don't keep us safe and hold up their end of this social contract? It is a large myth that everyone just uh, implicitly accepts. And uh, the, the lack of evidence for it is, uh, is just incredible. Great. And our friend, Andrew Kern, who has yet to be on my show, but I would love to get him on because uh, we've actually hung out before, wrote a whole book about it. And I think I'll link to that as well, even though you didn't write it. Uh, it's a good book and I'd like to help Andrew out as well because uh, he's great. I think that's a good place to end. If you had one libertarian theorist to recommend to people, who would it be? Uh, it's got to be Michael Humer. I mean, he's just so good. Wow. He wrote a book called The Problem of Political Authority. And it's just so beautiful. It is. I mean, I didn't expect you to say that. I thought you would say Hoppe, but that that is that is probably the answer that I would give too, especially for normies. Yeah, it, as much as I uh, love Hoppe, I mean, Humor's book is just so irrefutable. He, it, it's his methodology. Yeah. That's what's so great about it. So instead of um, there's a thing called the non-aggression principle. Here's why you should uh, accept it as legitimate. It's very difficult to convince someone and uh, even really difficult to wrap your head around. It's almost like a new ideology is being pushed on you. So what humor does is he says, here is something you believe. I don't have the right uh, to uh, force someone to fund me. If I'm Jehovah's Witness, I can go door to door and ask people to join me, but I don't have the right to force them. Mm. Well, what if there's two of us or five of us or we're much older or we're much wiser have we at any point acquired the right to force people to fund us? Well, how is that any different than what this group called government does? And he just does it again and again in almost every uh, sector of uh, you know uh, the, uh, of the state that exists. So it's like it teaches you to think, and that's so important because they're always going to have a new scam. I mean, uh, so whatever you know we're talking about now, there's going to be a new scam this time next year and the year after. But once you learn to think through it, then you can almost never get uh, tricked by um, you know the uh, Santa Claus belief in statism that, you know, something comes from nothing. Of course, healthcare is free. Uh, you know, the, the wars are free. If, if you've read Michael Humor, you go, really? It's, it's free? So that means, hold on, free is when you don't pay. So like the, uh, the, the soldiers don't get paid? No. Okay. Obviously the soldiers get paid. The, the planes, you, the, no one's compensated. Okay. So you're paying for that. How is this thing free? Under what, I, I know the criteria for free. How does it fit this? That's not the case at all. So it's uh, it's just his ability to question fundamental assumptions that's so important. Um, and uh, he wrote an introduction to philosophy, uh, which uh, I actually did a video on this. 
I consider these to be uh, like the nine most important pages. I usually don't ask people to link to uh, specific videos of mine, but this one is just worth it because uh, I sent it to Humor and he said that uh, he loved it. I tiled it 14 propaganda tactics uh, employed by the corporate press, Dr. Michael Humor or Michael Humor PhD. And it's nine pages in his most recent book, Knowledge, Value, and Reality, a mostly common sense introduction to philosophy. And he gives you actual logical fallacies that you come across all the time. So it's not like post hoc ergo hoc, something that's interesting, but you don't run into that often. He has 14 that you will literally see every, uh, I don't want to exaggerate, every hour you will see all 14 of these. And uh, <laughs> if you watch uh, anything, Fox News, MSNBC, or CNN, you'll see all 14 of these being used. And um, and and I think that uh, was just uh, so brilliant of him. So yeah, that's why I would pick humor. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Keith. Obviously, we talked about a couple of your videos tonight, so I'm going to certainly link to that. Are there any social networks or anything like that you'd like me to link to? And I guess I'm going to I, I would I'm going to link to YouTube by default. But if you're on another video streaming platform, I'll happily do that. So I definitely recommend people get on Odyssey.com as an alternative to YouTube and Minds.com as an alternative to both Facebook and Twitter, and even YouTube because you can upload uh, videos uh, on Minds. So um, float is also a good one, but uh, I know if I ask for too many, people will do zero. <laughs> so if you could check out Minds is the best alt media for something like Twitter and odyssey.com. It started by a guy, uh, he's one of us. Uh, he's actually a yeah. uh, partner with uh, the uh, Mises Caucus. His name's Jeremy Kaufman. He's been on my show twice. He's terrific. Yeah, so he's, a, he's, he's the one who founded Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's uh, the float. founder and, uh, and CEO. Float, which you mentioned, was founded by a couple who have actually been on my show. Uh, I can't remember their names. I'm so sorry. It's getting it's getting it's getting late, and my brain's getting tired. So, uh, <laughs> but they, they've been on the show, and everybody who listens to the show is aware of, aware of them. Um, and actually, yeah, while we're plugging minds, you can follow me on there as well. So I'll put links to yours. My minds link is always down at the bottom of the show notes, and I'll link to your Odyssey. Thanks a lot, Keith. Thank you. Have a great night. All right, thanks again to Keith for joining me today, and thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. If you like what you heard and you wish that you had gotten it two weeks ago, head over to blackbirdpodcast.com to subscribe. Subscriptions are only $7 a month or $70 a year, which gets you two free months. As always, you can sign up for free with just your email address, and that will get you any of the free written content that I produce along with this standard podcast feed. But if you'd like to hear what my guests and I talk about before we start recording for this feed, and again, if you'd like to get these interviews two weeks, sometimes even three weeks early, then be sure to subscribe for a paid option and you'll get that. Additionally, you will get any premium written content that I put out. Thanks again for joining and I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free. (laughs) 